Hello, ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Well, today we are jumping right into Jeremiah chapters 18 through 24 because we will be touching on the history of these chapters later on as we read. Chapter 18 begins, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. We are about to see object lesson number two. The first one was in chapter 13 with the linen waistcloth, which became totally ruined. It represented the destruction of the pride of Judah and Jerusalem. I also mentioned that another name for the object lessons with Jeremiah could be acted signs or prophetic symbolism. One thing I forgot to mention is that these object lessons are always given an explanation or interpretation. As usual, Jeremiah obeyed. He went down and watched the potter using his wheel to make a vessel, and it was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make. Then in verse 6 comes the explanation from the Lord. Can I not do with you as the potter? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Then in verses 7 through 10, we see the repeating message that the Lord can take a kingdom or a nation and uproot, pull down, or destroy it. Or if they repent, then the Lord can build it up and plant it. This again is a theme throughout Jeremiah. Then the chapter continues with Judah and Jerusalem's sin. The Lord cries out in verse 11, Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds, but they do not. In verse 18, we see that the people devise plans against Jeremiah. Chapter 18 ends with Jeremiah again crying out an imprecatory prayer. God, get him. What I love about this prayer is the last line. It says, deal with them in the time of your anger. Yet, when we compare his prayer about himself to the Lord in chapter 10, it says, Correct me, O Lord, but with justice, not with your anger, or you will bring me to nothing. Now, the book of Jeremiah has prayers throughout the book. According to C. Hassel Bullock in his book, An Introduction to the Old Testament Prophetic Books, They are sometimes called Jeremiah's confessions because they contain so many elements of personal pain and complaint. They are a window to his soul. He was deeply conscious of his own human sensitivities, of the tension that his prophetic call had introduced into his life, of the iniquities in the world as he knew it, and of the powerful compulsion he had to fulfill his call. He then continues by saying, Jeremiah was a complexity of emotions and conflict. The really stabilizing force in his life was the Lord. And at times he even questioned whether the Lord was with him. This is found in page 256 of his book. 
I want to add two more quotes from Bullock on this subject because they are just so good. On page 257, he writes, Prayer can be a great source of emotional healing. Jeremiah's prayers reveal that. They helped him put vengeance in God's hands and leave it there. Stay the course and keep to his task of prophesying despite the strong opposition he faced and realized how truly powerful God was in his life and how dependent he was upon him. And the other quote, prayer ought to be an honest engagement of the soul. One who prays ought not have to pretend that he or she likes what is happening when he or she doesn't. God honors that honesty. To talk about one's pain in the presence of the Lord of the universe, who feels it too, is a prescription for spiritual wholeness. Ladies, I love the fact that Bullock reminds us that the Lord also feels the pain that we are going through. I fear today that the Church of America is not spiritually whole because we have been pretending that we are holy in our own power. But truth is, we are just like Jeremiah, just like him. Only when the Holy Spirit does his work in our lives do we become like the Lord. One thing we discussed when going through the Psalms is that the plus about songs and prayers like this is that it gives us words when we don't know how to pray in our sorrow. If we take a look in the New Testament with Jesus and the woman at the well, he tells her that the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. When asked to bring her husband, she said, I don't have a husband. And the Lord Jesus said, that's correct. And then the Lord tells her that she was not married because she has had five husbands and now she's living with this guy. This woman could face the truth, number one, because the Lord knows it anyway. And number two, because Jesus can make it better. He takes our gunk and turns it into something beautiful. So ladies, we can face the truth. And so did Jeremiah. In chapter 19, we get the third object lesson of the broken jar. Now, the first two seem to be private lessons for Jeremiah, but then he wrote them down for all to know. But with number three, Jeremiah performs this object lesson in front of some of the elders of the people and some of the senior priests. Verse 1. He was to profess their sin and destruction that is coming. Then he was to break the jar in their sight and say, Thus I will break this people and this city which cannot be repaired, says the Lord. Jeremiah was then sent by the Lord to declare judgment to all the people. This, of course, angered the chief officer of the house, the priest Pasher. So in chapter 20, we find that he had Jeremiah beaten and put in stocks. The next day he was released and Jeremiah brought down judgment on Pasher as well. Then Jeremiah prays and complains, starting in verse 7. The first line of his prayer, he cries out, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I'm a laughingstock daily. Everyone mocks me. Then in verse 12, we see the word yet. 
as we've been reading the Old Testament this year, I find I really love seeing that word because it usually means something good is coming. Here, Jeremiah then is reminded that the Lord knows all people's heart, the wicked's and his own. He cries out for vengeance from the Lord. Then verse 13 says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of evildoers. Then it switches again. And this time his misery is so great that he curses the day he was born. As the theologian Richard Foster says in his book of prayers, I am a jumbled mass of motives. I don't know about you, but I can sure relate. Now in chapter 21, it switches to a specific time frame of Jeremiah's ministry. We see the word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him Pasher and Zephaniah with a message about King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who is coming to fight against them. This is around 597 to 586 B.C. King Zedekiah of Judah wants Jeremiah to have the Lord do wondrous works for them. Jeremiah sends word that the Lord is fighting against Judah and Jerusalem. Even in this prophecy of destruction, verses 8 and 9 say, You shall also say to this people, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who dwells in this city will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and falls away to the Chaldeans who are besieging you, you will live and he will have his own life as booty. Just a note, Chaldea was a small country that was within Babylon and soon was engulfed by her which is why sometimes Babylonians are called Chaldeans. In other words, if the Jews surrender to Babylon, they will live. If not, they will die. Chapter 22 continues with the warning of Jerusalem's fall. This time Jeremiah was to go to the king, speak to him and the servants and the people. Again, there is a cry to do justice and righteousness, but they don't. In verses 8 and 9, the Lord says that people will walk by Jerusalem after being destroyed and ask, why has the Lord done this? And the answer is, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord their God and bowed down to other gods and served them. In verses 11 and 12 of chapter 22, we see King Shalom, the son of Josiah. We know him as King Jehoahaz. When Egypt wanted to make Judah its vassal, meaning they would stay a nation, but they would pay Egypt tribute money, the king of Egypt, Necho, who killed King Josiah on his way up to fight with Assyria against Babylon, came to Jerusalem and took Jehoahaz, the king, to Egypt. In these verses, we find that he never comes back. King Necho then makes Jehoahaz's son, Eliakim, also known as Jehoiakim, king. We find this part of the story in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 28 through 35. 
verses 13 through 30, the Lord declares, Whoa! On the kings of Judah, Jehoiakim and his son Jehoiakim, also known as Coniah here. Bullock's book calls the second name the king's, quote, throne name. I also know that with Daniel, the Babylonians gave him and his three friends Babylonian names instead of Hebrew names. So I'm wondering if there may be a play here with an Egyptian name as well. In chapter 23, we see a woe to the shepherd, or in other words, the religious leaders of the day, because they destroyed and scattered the Lord's sheep of his pasture. In verse 3, we see the word remnant. The Lord still has faithful people throughout the lands, and he will gather the remnant of his flock out of all the countries where he has driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. The Lord will also raise up godly shepherds who will tend to the sheep. In the New Testament, after Peter had denied the Lord Jesus three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? As he responds, yes, Lord. And on the third time, he even said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus told Peter, basically, if you love me, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 18. The Lord was and is concerned for his sheep, his people. Verses 5 and 6 say, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Woohoo! When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. If you notice, this is a singular male. What man do we know that is from the line of David and is righteous and is hailed as king and does justice and righteousness and saves Judah and Israel and is the Lord God? Yep, Jesus. Verses 7 and 8 are almost exactly like chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, where no longer will people be talking about the exodus, but about the return of the exiles to their home. The rest of chapter 23 deals with false prophets. The Lord knows. And then in verse 33, it says that the Lord will abandon them for their teaching of falsehood. In the New Testament book of James chapter 3, Jesus' half-brother says that instructors or masters or teachers will receive greater condemnation. Chapter 24 sets the historical stage again. This time Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, carried away to Babylon King Jehoiakim and the officials, the craftsmen, and the smiths of Judah. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 8-17, through 17, and 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 9 through 10. This was the second group of exiles that Nebuchadnezzar had taken to Babylon. After this happened, the Lord showed Jeremiah a vision of two baskets of figs. One was very good and the other was very bad. It was so bad it could not be eaten. 
The good figs are the remnant that will come back. And verses 6 and 7 read, For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them up and not overthrow them, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. The others, the unfaithful, will be destroyed from the land that the Lord gave to them and their forefathers. Because we know the history of Israel and Judah, we know that after Babylon comes the king of Persia, King Cyrus, and he will make a decree for the people to come back. With Ezra and Nehemiah's help, the temple and the walls were built back up. After the Persians come the Greeks and then the Romans. And during this time, God plans for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come because he was righteous. He bore our sins on the cross so that through him we might attain the righteousness of God in him. In him, in Jesus, we have the heart to know the Lord. In Jesus, even the Gentiles can become my people, says the Lord, if we return with our whole heart. So ladies today, are you going to be stubborn and fight against the Lord like the people of Jerusalem and Judah? Or will you come before him today in honesty and submission with your whole heart like Jeremiah? The Lord knows our hearts anyway. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. Instead, let's be women who obey. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.